Hello, welcome to Unseeded, where we are carrying on the daily episodes of Roland Garros. Despite the fact that only one of us went to Roland Garros today. Yeah. This is the second time this has happened. But yeah, so uh, I was on Court Suzanne Nongloin today. So the matches that I was had tickets for but didn't necessarily see all of yeah. was Casper uh, Ruud against uh, Zhongzhi Zen, Coco Goff against Miran Draver. I definitely saw, I mean, as much of that as I could. Yeah. Um, I did need to go to Lou at some point. Yeah. Then it was Fritz v Corundolo. Uh, I didn't really see any of that because there were matches that were happening elsewhere. I thought I'd had to catch the last singles match on Court 14 because, you know, yeah. my love affair of Court 14. And also Bianca Andreescu was on Simone Mathieu. And Court 14 to Simone Mathieu is quite a... A distance. A distance. It's quite a journey. Yeah, it's um, probably at least half a mile. If not, it might even be longer. Yeah, and so obviously I saw Andrescu against Serenko. I went back and saw a bit of Jabir v Danilovic. Yeah. And then, to be fair, I watched most of that on the big screen. Um, Watch Jabir Danilovic. Yeah, it was just like quite... It's actually a better vibe by the big screen than it was in like a sort of half-full... Suzanne Longlen, yeah. Um, and yeah, obviously, notable things happened elsewhere, and we'll get to that. So, first of all, it's quite weird because I feel like what we're going to talk about, you've got, have, did you watch any tennis today? I watched part of it, I had it on in the background whilst I was doing some of my studies. Um, but I did see uh, Fritz fall to, to Corundolo. Um, the last set I watched and I saw uh, Coco Goff, Mira Andreva in the first set and a bit of the second um, and just glimpses here and there of other games, not really full matches but just some here and there yeah. so other than the ones you're going to mention that you watch live I might be able to comment on a few others because obviously in the TV in France it just jumps around to set points between the, the, the yeah. stadiums, which is a bit annoying. So, I mean, to be fair, so Casper Root, he did... Like, the first set was the the real set that I was taking note of, and he did start off quite shaky. Yeah. And from what I heard is that... Because um, I haven't really seen anything of the whole Garun match yet. Um, yeah. But he started... I mean, he won, he won in straight sets... But apparently he started off a bit nervy as well. And I'm starting to wonder whether, like, players on that side of the draw have just suddenly realised it's like, oh, Djokovic and Alcaraz are on the, the other half of the draw. We could all get to the final. Yeah, but, like, for example, Casper Ruud has done it before at the French Open, got to the final, so it shouldn't, he shouldn't really be affected by that. And it, the only real thing that rocked him last time was giving too much respect to Nadal who's not even there so you know he oh yeah but in the past he has given too much respect to Djokovic but he doesn't have to play until the final either so yeah he, he should he should go there with an air of confidence yeah um, but Rude I don't know I didn't catch the start of it where, where supposedly he had a bit of a shaky start I just saw him midway through the second set and it just became apparent that he was going to take uh Oh yeah, no. Once it got into it and beyond the first set, like it was like Casper Ruud is Casper Ruud again. 
yeah. it was just that first set where he was just a bit out of sorts would you know when it's a player is just a little bit off yeah um, but following up from uh, the previous podcast I can confirm that Zhang Zizhen is a tennis player he is yeah um, he, does, he just doesn't look like one I'll be honest he no but doesn't. you literally said in the last podcast he's just a tennis player yeah which well, he is just a tennis player he's not that special well, actually, he probably is quite special. He's probably a, one of Asia's greatest tennis players. He's a good tennis player. I mean, he's competing at the French Open, so he's got to be pretty decent. Yeah, first um, debut at the French Open as well, yeah. to get to the third round. But, yeah, no, I mean, the thing is as well, like, obviously, Kasper Ruud turned this match around, but, I mean, he sh- it, that's not surprising. It shouldn't be surprising. It's not surprising because... He's the heavy <laughs> is the, should be the heavy favourite for all these matches. Yeah, yeah. It's just that so far this year, Kasparud has faltered yeah. early on in a lot of tournaments. Um, but yeah. And he's got Yari next. Yeah, so really quarterfinal at least. Should be what he's looking at. Yeah. Um, other way, to be fair, he is defending a final place, so as far as he can go, would be good. And we we expect him to play. Really. Well, it's, it's Holger Rune Rude quarter final, isn't it? Yeah. He's. A, I mean, uh, obviously Rune has beaten him earlier this year, but I mean that head to head of Rude v Rune is heavily in favour of Rude. So. Yeah, and that's if Rune can get through uh, Chirundolo, who obviously had yeah. a great performance today. Yeah. Um. So. Maybe maybe it won't be Rune v Rude. Chirundolo deserve to beat Fritz I mean I know Fritz is not stereotypically a clay court player but he's having he's a great American. yeah but he was having a great clay court season so maybe you know this was meant to be a little bit of a breakout but you know it looks like it's Tiafo that's going to have to carry the flag yeah uh, well we'll see because that match is still happening it is still happening and it's a it's in a tie break in the fourth so it's a close one I kind of feel like a tie break in the fourth is more stressful than a tie break in the fifth. Uh, because whereas in a tie break in the fifth, it's whoever wins this wins the match. Yeah. Whereas like when you've got that contrast between players that are like one of them's trying to win the match and one of them's trying to stay like I feel as though it's harder for the fifth. one that's two one up. Yeah. Just because you know that this can be done in five minutes and then you can just go and relax because you're through. But then if you lose it, you have to then get yourself motivated again for another set, whereas the person that's two sets to one down knows when he's two sets to one down that he's going to have to play the next two sets and win them both to win through. So he's going to be fired up because firstly he just won that set and he's had to expect that he's going to play the yeah. fifth one to win. Which... Um, I don't know. I feel that's how I'd think in my head if I was in that exact. I mean, mind. as well, if you if you think about the two matches that have been considered probably the greatest matches of all time, yeah, you've got two thousand eight Wimbledon final tiebreak in the fourth, yeah, and third as well. But also um, Borg McEnroe. I can't remember which year, but there was that one year where they had that final, which had the tiebreak in the fourth. Oh, was it? I don't know that game off the top of my head. Yeah, and that where was, was that? Wimbledon. Of yeah, Wimbledon. Yeah. Um, that was where those. Oh, Bork McEnroe. Oh. 
I remember watching like one of those on repeat. I don't know why on YouTube. Yeah, it was just it was actually really good. <laughs> well, I mean, to be fair, we did watch a random game on tennis TV from Paris Masters. Oh yeah, we watched um, Boris Becker against Pete Sampras, didn't we? Oh, was it Becker v Sampras? Okay. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it was like nineteen no two thousand and four was it? It wouldn't no. be two thousand and four. It was the nineties. Was it the nineties? Yeah, because both of those were retired by two thousand and four. I don't remember it being that old that game. No, it was old. And then yeah, no, I mean I remember uh I mean I've watched a an Agassi Sampras final in Miami before and I wasn't alive when this final happened yeah but yeah so after uh, Rude v Zhengzhi Zhen was uh, obviously I think the match of the day Miran Draver Coco Goff Miran Draver Coco Goff yeah so uh, I mean it was a very close first set yeah the reason why the set was so close is because nobody could hold their serve yeah <laughs> <laughs> no, none of well, them. In the first set. Yeah. Oh, was it? I just I couldn't. I know there was. I remember watching a few breaks back to back, especially towards the end of the first set. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Mira Andreva just got over the line in that one. Yeah, but and I, I, it wasn't a particularly good tie break from Coco Golf. I mean, she said as much after the match. Who was it? Oh. I didn't listen to that bit, but I didn't. Yeah. I didn't. I didn't. Put, I felt as though that the dominance she showed at the start of the game, Andreva, in like the first three games, that that didn't really carry through to the end of the set, and there were signs that Coco Goff was getting into her flow. But then I don't know. Yeah, maybe. I like mean, you said, as well, how many? I mean, I know Coco Goff is nineteen, yeah. but how many slams has she played at this point? Yeah, yeah. Whereas this is... experience came through. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's, and it's mad that we're saying that about Coco Goff. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so... I mean, one thing that I do have to say in that first set, because it's going to come up later in the tournament. Yeah. Because Andreva was able to test it. She wasn't able to test it so much to win the match. But... Goff's forehand is is going to be an issue. It's always been an issue. It's going to carry on being an issue because it weakens other shots. Yeah. Like, I've never known anyone to run around their forehand to hit a backhand. Yeah, I mean, I, look, I know it's not her strongest point, but, you know, she does have a lot of good results under her belt. For a supposed not non-existent forehand, she's got to a final of a Grand Slam. No, and to be fair, it it started to to work a bit more. Yeah, but and it, and this match will give her more confidence on the forehand side because she was hitting forehand winners. Yeah, but later on in the match, the whereas that will give confidence, she is going to have to come up against. Sure, yeah. Siontek is the quarter-final, isn't it? Yeah. And that is going to be a huge test for her forehand because Siontek's forehand doesn't really have any issues. Yeah. Well, it doesn't have any issues. Whereas Goff's, it does have... What Goff needed to do is sort of get into that point where it's too late. It's just take six months off the tour, potentially... 
take time off the tour and just. But how but can you justify like she's that take so- take the forehand back to basics? Yeah, but is is the difference between being a top player and a Grand Slam champion? Because you've got players like Maria Sakkari, who is consistently a top ten player. Yeah. But is not a Grand Slam champion. And if you want to cross that line, you need to deal with these issues early on in your career. Yeah, but uh, I get that. But taking six months off the tour when you're 19 and you have But you're better, it's better to do it young than it is to do it in your mid 20s. She never recovers that ranking. But would you not rather take that risk? in order to actually win something look I mean maybe don't get me wrong we don't play at the highest level we just play against each other and a few other friends but I have never been taught by a coach ever and I believe in the best way I learn is even when we practice we barely have that much of a hitting practice we play mostly in game motion because when we are practicing I can release shots that I can sometimes not do in the game because I know that they're weaker shots of mine but you know when there's less pressure you can just give a little swing at it for example but I've learned all of these years how to play through just playing games constantly playing games and that's exactly what Coco Goff's got and she's top five in the world all right, she hasn't won a Grand Slam but she's got a, she's had to go through a period where Sviontek last year was having a heavily dominant period where she just seemed to be winning everything and then now Sabalenka seems to have found her confidence no my my, my thing with with Goff's forehand is is as I was saying it weakens other shots because if you're having to run around and hit the backhand then yeah you are you're hitting a backhand from a really weird because you can get away with the the inside out forehand or the inside in forehand but hitting backhands from that part of the court yeah. is you're putting yourself in a really really difficult position and she lost that point. Yeah, I because mean, you're you're like positionally. But if you've got no confidence on your forehand wing, then your positioning is going to be all over the place, and then it, it puts more pressure on because you miss these shots, you lose these points, and it puts more pressure on your serve. And Coco Goff has had historically difficulties with her serve. Yeah, I mean, yeah, but that we're talking as if she hasn't gone deep in a lot of no, Grand Slams. No, and she's taking gone deep. six months off tour will literally batter her ranking outside of a. No, and, and and this is the thing. I think now it's too late. This is something that should have been done, and I think coaches need to be less worried about just being like, right, we've got a seventeen-year-old player here with a with loads of potential, but. A few like a few things that need work. Like let's say you got a particularly bad stroke, whether it's your backhand or your forehand, and it's better to in the early parts of your career to take the time off then than rather carry on with a poorly manufactured stroke. Yeah, but and and then get to the tour, and you come up against all these top players that just know, right. The way to beat you is just to, because like if it if, like let's say if we but translated if you, your game yeah into a pro yeah because I know 
I just don't have the ability to do it all the time constantly. But I know that the most effective way if I wanted to beat you yeah. is to constantly go after your backhand side. Yeah. Because you're not particularly strong there. Yeah. Whereas if you were coming up as like a a pro at like the age of like 16 or 17 or whatever yeah then that would be the time to just like reconstruct your backhand because your backhand needs work yeah I get that but it's like I mean I can only explain it because I watch football much more than I do tennis but in football when you're 16 you're 17 and you get that sort of chance you have to take it you can't just go let's have six months on tour and I would I would criticise a coach or even a, a player to make that sort of decision just because the earning potential that you've got and the pressure you're under to try and make it because it is very hard to get through the ITF circuit then the challenger circuit to finally get into your Grand Slams and she's now made it let's be honest even if she does take six months or so she might even drop to a hundredth but she'll still be in Grand Slams and she'll still have a name and will get a few uh, wild cards and she'll be able to get her ranking back I have no doubt about that um, whether she'll be able to get back to number five in the world I don't know no it's just if it, uh, the, the, my thing but is, you is it, if, if you're though, confident in your ability no but I can't say that though because how many look I can't say it in tennis because I don't watch it enough and I also believe that you don't have a similar example for a tennis player but I can tell you plenty of football examples of where a, a world class talent would go yeah in, I was a good player in school when I was at my school I was the best player but when I went to an academy Nah, he was better than me, he was better than me, he was better than me. But yet he's a builder and he's a thing. But he's got way more potential talent than you. Why is that the case? Because maybe sometimes they do go and change the mould of the thing. Sometimes it is better to be unorthodox and have your certain thing. I I don't want to go into names because obviously it's a tennis podcast. But, you know, there are examples of players in football that have stopped to play to, to change a certain style of play because they've gone to sign for a certain team that play in a certain mould that you know for, in translating it to tennis want to have a certain construction and level of a, every single shot and yet by doing that then lose their potential and don't get the chances they may have had had they just naturally learn over time in games which does help as well you know there are loads of uh, footballers I've watched go throughout them and you can say yeah he's got loads of gaps in his game but over time it comes good and it might take longer the, 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 the thing is is that the golf forehand structurally the way that it's produced is the problem yeah, and but then, no, that, that's something that like just they, needs to be worked on on a training court on a practice court because the thing is when you're constantly under pressure with match point like with like match play is how like how do you stop yourself from going back to the way you normally do it yeah but that's that's okay to say now but when you're saying it's too late for her now you should have done it at 17 at 17 she had no prize money she had no career in tennis she did she came through at Wimbledon when she was 15 yeah and she had to came through at Wimbledon to my knowledge she had to give a lot of that money to the US Tennis Association because she was under 16 and if the USTA actually cared they would have supported that decision 
Uh, yeah, I know. So she didn't actually have a career in tennis at that point. Yeah, she'd had a run. Um, but had she gone at 17 and just go, no, I'm going to stop the blocks here. I'm going to completely restructure my forehand for six months. I'm going to come back at an unranked position. She may never have made it. She may never have made it. But, I mean, sometimes you need coaching and you need all this that tells you things that you don't want to hear. Like, I'm pretty sure that's the story of... I'm pretty sure Kayla Day's coach is, like, Pat Cash or something. Yeah. And that's basically because she wanted him to just look look at her game style and was just like, what am I doing wrong? He gave her a brutally honest list and then she was just like, do you want to stay on the job? And it was just like you need that sort of no but that's that's it's always down to the person Kayla Day might operate with a person whipping her in the back saying no this is what you're doing wrong this is what you're doing wrong some people just prefer an arm around the shoulder and say nah you know we're going to work through this and we're going to work through it together and you're going to get through it and look at look at the results Coco Goss had I don't think that as a 19 year old you can realistically have expected her to have had much more results than she's already got no, she's got great results, but my my thing is that... And had, she, had, had she done what you said, do you reckon she'd have even better results by now? I think it's a, there's a possibility. Yeah, but I'd say there's a stronger possibility, but especially at 17, to have taken her out. There's a, she, I, I, I think there's a possibility, because it's... I'd, go, it's I'd say such, there's a possibility it, she wouldn't even be at this French Open it, if she'd done that. I, I, I think it's a possibility that she'd be doing better, because... It, it's such a targetable weakness. You see players go after she's, the forehand. Yeah, but she's played in a Grand Slam final, and and how it wasn't a particularly even final, was it? She was eighteen. She was, but Sviontek knew. If you watch that final, Sviontek's entire game plan was yeah. go after the forehand. Yeah, I understand that, but she's 18. And if you're saying that the same thing about Coco Goff in four or five years' time when she's 23, 24, she's been on the tour for nearly 10 years at that point, and she's still world number six and she's got to three grand slam, I'd have said, you know what, fair enough. At this point, she needs to now go, you know, and, and take... Look, I'm not saying that Coco Goff's not an exceptional talent. She is... Yeah. an exceptional talent but to look, be where what, she is at 19 what I think will happen is she won't do what she, you said she won't go away and contract that she'll carry on playing as much game time as she's doing at the moment and she will go win a Grand Slam in the next two or three years I mm. believe she will do that and she'll go on to win at least a few but I, I just think if she spends a set amount of time working on that weakness she can win more depends on the player I think it depends on the player's attitude to, to, to doing that thing. Some some players are better like that, like you said, Kayla Day, but some players are better at just doing what they think is best in playing is the best way to... Like, like you might think that's the best way, and then for me, I feel as though playing the most will help me the most. That's that's the, that's the just your, your own attitude. I mean, I, I, mean I, I like doing a m- mixture, which is why I did those sort of tennis classes for a bit. I yeah. mean, they were doubles, which didn't help me too much but I did like having a coach that would like watch my game yeah. and tell me exactly what I'm doing wrong yeah which is really helpful um, yeah, I like I having I like having that sort of quite blunt approach 
Yeah. You see, that doesn't that doesn't really help me a lot. Like, I, I, I'd rather you tell me what I'm doing wrong, but then obviously say, yeah, you're doing this right, so we're going to say, when you're going to play a game, you're going to play these certain ways to, like, enhance what you're doing right, and then to play a certain game plan to obviously mask what you're doing not so well so that you can develop that over time rather mm. than me stopping my play completely and just doing constant training drills on what I'm doing bad because I don't think that that, that personally for me wouldn't help I understand that the coach would say to me yeah your backhand's not so good and you need a better second serve and maybe develop a bit of a flat forehand as well in scenario you don't need a flat forehand you need a backhand yeah I think that's the biggest thing that you need. You need a backhand that produces topspin because your backhands are either blocked or they're sliced. Yeah. You just need to be able to produce topspin on your backhand. Yeah, I mean, that, that, that's in a game, all I In a game scenario, yeah. because I can do it in, in practice. Yeah. Um, this, this is the thing. This, this is what was really helpful when I... When I I asked that coach about like what am I doing wrong and he was just like you need to just hit through your backhand because I went through such a period of like I went through such a period where I was just like because I used to have like the backhand used to be my dominant shot yeah whereas now it's probably my forehand it is my forehand because I spent so much time working on my forehand because my forehand was dreadful yeah but then I've and now I've just sort of like completely forgotten like oh I used to have a a, a solid backhand on me yeah and now I'm just sort of getting back used to it but don't worry I've watched loads of like good one handers at this year's Roland Garros so when we go back to to playing you're gonna so, play like them yeah uh, anyway so. Um, Okay. Obviously, we we were talking about Coco Goff's weaknesses, but we got to remember that Coco Goff did actually win the match. Yes, <laughs> um, quite convincingly. In the end it was well. quite convincingly. It was six one, six one. Yeah. Um, to Goff in the second and third set, it was a really good second set from Goff. She she did start to impose herself more, and she she did use the backhand because her backhand is unbelievable. It's yeah. really good. Um, and there were clear... You could just tell from that second set onwards that Andreva was getting frustrated. She was getting annoyed. Because obviously Andreva must know that she is ridiculously good at tennis. Yeah. But maybe she's just not used... Because she's still young. She's not used to yet... Being the number one ranked Andreva in the household. But, like, she's just not used to yet dealing having to deal with the sort of when you get to pro tour matches and going like, on runs at such a young and it's it's all about riding the waves it's yeah it's quite it's it tennis itself is such a up and down game like in a, in a match you're going through such highs and such lows yeah and it's just about riding those as best you can. It's it's yeah. I think, you, I'll be honest. I think Andreva can. I know she fell apart in the last two sets, but I think she can only go away. She might not think this when she left the court, but I think her coaches just need to tell her that she's got absolutely nothing. To I mean, be to be fair, I, I think in a way she was kind of lucky 
in that tie break in the in the first set to not get uh, disqualified, to not get defaulted. I by the you just hit the racket. I didn't see anything. No, so she they didn't actually really show it on the TV, but she hit a ball into the crowd. Oh, did she? Yeah. Because what she kept doing was um, when when the ball boys and girls were giving her balls for the serve, yeah. she kept just like hitting them into the net. And at one point, she just sort of hit one into the crowd. Okay. Which, did she miss the net or deliberately hit it? it I don't. I no, because it was it was more to the side. But it was it was yeah, it was a bit of a it was it was a silly thing to do, but. I think that was just one thing that I noted down. It was like sort of towards the back end of the mis- this match, we were starting to see Mira Andreva, the 16-year-old, as opposed to Mira Andreva, the tennis prodigy. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And that's perfectly understandable. I don't... It, I can understand why... Because pressure, obviously, would have... She would have felt pressure at some point because... She's going into this match against someone who was last year's finalist. Yeah. And she's being tipped to win. She's being tipped to... Oh, yeah, but I don't know. That's, I think this is down uh, down to her coaches, really. Like, for her, I think, for, for the last... I don't know who she played in the, the round before, but from that, from that game onwards, I think the coaches should have just taken to a restaurant... Let her enjoy herself, whatever she likes doing. Don't even practice. Just let her relax as much as possible, because she's done better than she needed to do at all. She, yeah. She doesn't. She had absolutely. I think she should have had zero pressure on her because no one expects her to win that. Yeah. Um, you know, like in the sense that she she'd be like, oh, when they do the analysis, but I mean, say, well, oh, when, you should have won it. When you watch her on court, is she's clearly putting that much pressure on herself as well because she feels like she should be winning that match yeah and that's that's an attitude that will get her very far mm. but once she's lost this game her coaches and her team can just say look you had a great run in was it Rome or was it Madrid 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 and she's had another great run in France in in the French Open and you know she shot herself into a position now that Thankfully for her, she won't have to go through qualifiers anymore. She will be automatically drawn into 250, 500 events and even Grand Slams, which can only help her get better because eventually those third and second round runs are going to turn a bit further because she won't have to go through qualifying. She can just play... Because we've got to remember, this was her sixth match in the space of nine days for a 16-year-old, which is quite a difficult thing to do. Yeah, because we're not just playing. She's playing high level opponents. Yeah, I know she battered Alison Risk, but she is a decent player. Yeah, um, and now nah, I think she's done well. She can hold her head up high, and uh, well, she's done fantastically. Yeah, hopefully she's but, back for the grass court season. Yeah, it was it was a good it was a good match, and obviously we got a bit of sidetracked talking about Coco Goffs. Yeah, um, but I mean. That's what then the again, podcast like, is about. Yeah, then again as well, it's like Coco Goff is... She's another one of these players that we expect a lot of and maybe Mira Andreva be, will be like one of those as well. Yeah. We get a few years down the line. And if a player is consistently in the top 10, yeah. then you've got to start wondering why they haven't won slams. 
Yeah. And yeah, so anyway, next on that court was uh, Fritz v. Corundolo. As I said earlier, I didn't really watch much of it um, because other matches were happening that I was interested in. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so after the first set, I imagine Taylor Fritz was very tempted to draw a penis. Uh, oh, <laughs> yeah. Because he was locked in. Yeah, um, and that's seemingly what Taylor Fritz does when he's uh, upset, feeling locked in. Oh, okay. No, do you know? No, because he won the first set. Do you not remember when he won the first match in Australia this year? And do you know how they've got that whole like drawing on the camera th- lens thing? Yeah, yeah. He tried to draw a padlock, and it ended up looking like a penis. Oh, yes, yeah, 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 yeah. I've seen this. I've seen. Yeah. So after the first set, I imagine he he was uh, thinking about drawing penises, um, but then the rest of the match, he just got taken apart slowly yeah. and slowly. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I only really saw the end of the. I mean, Carundelo's just he's just good on clay, isn't he? Yeah, he's just uh, upgraded Thomas Martin Echeverry, yeah, and Sebastian Baez, yeah, and uh, I think Argentinians I've started to realise are not bad on clay. No. Yeah, they just seem to. That just seems to be their thing. But yeah. Anyway, so I didn't watch Matt much of this match. I went off to Court Simon Mathieu and I watched one of my faves lose, um, Bianca Andreescu. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was it was a packed Simon Mathieu, which was nice. I mean, the, the the thing that I just started to think is like, are all my favourite tennis players just not very good? <laughs> <laughs> well, no, they're half decent. I think uh, piling the pressure on them and putting future finalists tag next to their names uh, is always a um, big cause to make. Yeah. You know, even another one today, Mira Andreva, that prediction from yesterday didn't quite come off. No, no. Um, but you got another big prediction coming up, so we won't, we won't get that that far in. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, no, I mean, uh, Andrescu was just never able to really wrestle a match from Serenko, who was just hitting so well and just playing so well. Um, I mean, Serenko faces Eager next. I mean, it's not a good head-to-head for Serenko against Eager. No. Um, but, yeah, at times, I think Bianca was just a bit Norrie-like when he played on it's a moment match here the previous day. Yeah. The final game of the day has just finished. Verif has won. I'm not happy about that result. Okay. So, He's but yeah. playing one of the sexiest men on tour, so... Mm. Grigor Dimitrov. I mean, Dimitrov is, is quite a sexy man. Yeah. Now, do you know what I thought? He's quite underrated. Karen Kachinov. Yeah, he's all right. He's quite a handsome man. Yeah. yeah. Um, no. So, uh, and then the last match on Suzanne Longren was on Jabir against Olga Danilovic. I mean, Jabir looked flat early on. It didn't really bring any variety in that first set, which is not very Jabir-like. Yeah. Like I was, I watched that first set in Longren, and I was like, where are the drop shots? Yeah. Um, and there weren't any um, which was weird um, but then I then left uh, Longland and I I just sort of ended up watching it on the big screen which is a bit weird considering I had the ticket but you know yeah I just it, it was good vibes they were playing like sort of 
Latin music, like uh, from the speakers in that sort of in the in the area sort of where they've got the big screen in the sort of main like Ooh, next to Shatria. Yeah, they weren't showing the night session match, which was bizarre. Yeah. Um, and so I ended up just sort of staying there, and it was just like it was. It was just a good vibe. Yeah. Um, Latin music when a Serb and a Tunisian is playing. Yeah. Very, uh, very fitting. Now, to be fair, I mean, Verilas did uh, get through against someone. Yeah. Who did he beat? I don't know. Verilas. But, but yeah, no. I, I mean, Jabir did win in the end, but that's also just because she's a good tennis player and she started to sort of discover why she was a good tennis player throughout this match. Yeah. Um, there was a bit of a nervy moment at the end where um, Danilovic did uh, roll her ankle. Okay. And that led to, I think, the worst thing about watching tennis on TV, especially when you watch it on a big screen that big, is like when whenever there's a foot injury, the camera will zoom in on the tennis player's foot. Right. And I don't think there's <laughs> a worse thing to look at than a tennis player's foot. But yeah, so, I mean, yeah. I mean, Jabir is very good. She sort of discovered that she was very good throughout this match. Um, I mean, she didn't discover that she was very good. She just remembered that she was very good. Um, sort of elsewhere today, um, Sviantec, uh double-bageled Wang Xinyu. Which is which is not good for me because Wang Jinyu is one of these sort of like random players that I've I've hyped up occasionally. Yeah, I mean I think only since we got to the French Open. Is it, no, like Wang Yu is one that I've been like hyping up for like a year and a half, even prior to this podcast. Was it okay? And I've. Uh, this is not the sort of performance that sort of helps. No, and uh, Sviantec was not very happy when she was asked about it in her press conference, mm. heavily criticising the British reporter, saying, "When uh, who would you want to work with in Eager's um, bagel factory? And she said it's very disrespectful for her opponents to answer that sort of question, so at least she showed some sort of... Modesty. Yeah. Because yeah. she does. That's such a shit question. Yeah, well, it sounded like it was like some brummy asking it or somewhere. He was definitely British, but I don't know. I couldn't tell where his accent was from. Obviously, not. It felt like he was the ilk of a Premier League press conference. That sort of just, just. I don't have anything to ask. I'll just ask something vaguely interesting. I'll put it in the Daily Star tomorrow or something like that. That's such a shit question. Yeah. Um. But yeah. So. Uh, I mean. Biggest news of the women's draw really is uh, Rabatkina withdrew, yeah. um, citing illness. Yes, heavy case of hay fever, which I can uh, vouch for. And then also just... What is viral illness? Well, she had hay fever quite bad as well, she's saying, Are in her just... press conference. Oh. Yeah. Is that true? That is true. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. um, but she did have a viral shit. She was crying all night and I couldn't get much sleep. Um, yeah. And she said it was, you could probably hear in her voice, but I'll be honest, her voice sounded quite normal. But, you know, we'll take her word for it. She wouldn't yeah. just withdraw from a slam. Yeah, I don't, yeah. You know, yeah. you're not just withdrawing from a slam from a match that you'd probably win. Yeah, and to be fair, she left it to the very last minute. Like, it yeah. was literally like 10 minutes before the, like, when the, the gates were open that she announced it. So, yeah. 
And the biggest news is that women are allowed to play the night session. Yeah. So... <laughs> so that one Twitter commenter. Yeah, no. So, so for context, there has been... Since Monday, there have been night sessions because the first Sunday, there wasn't a night session. There yeah. was just sort of like a weird... It was. I don't actually quite Manry. understand that schedule on that day. Yeah. Um, but since since Monday through till today, there have been defined night sessions. They have all been men. And now, finally, tomorrow is the first time a women's match has been deemed worthy for the night session slot. Hmm. Considering the night session is supposed to be the sort of headline match of the day type thing yeah and it's it's kind of like it's it's really it's just tiring it's just frustrating because you're trying to push these sports at the same time like you're trying to push like you're just trying to push tennis as a whole you're packaging it as a product and we've I've I've had this whole conversation before on this podcast with Fur about how dreadful tennis is at times. Hmm. And it's just so cuz it happened last year like last year there was one it was Ostapenko Corne yeah. that was the it was just the token women's match of the night session because I feel like I can confidently predict at this point that tomorrow night will be the only women's match on the night session slot. And I think Roland Garros need to make a decision whether they're going to carry on with... If they're going to carry on with this night session, which I just see as pointless anyway... Yeah, I, I don't really or, like the, the concept of a night session because realistically, the ticket is almost as much as a day session yeah. for one match. Yeah. Regardless of whether it's men's or women's, that's not any in, in any way valuable. Yeah. And if they're carrying on with this night session, if they just say that it's always going to be a men's match, just say in advance. Yeah. Just say that in advance. Because if it, if it's always going to be a men's match, or if you want to actually, if you actually want to do equality, just split Chatrier into two. Just do a day pass, which is one men's match and one's one women's match. Yeah. Or and then you do the the evening pass, which will be one men's match and one women's match, and then obviously the evening session will start like two or three hours earlier than it does now yeah and um, literally should have the best women's and the best men's match of the day yeah rather than this sort of fudged because it is crap like let's face it it is yeah I mean what is it crap are you saying it's crap the, the night session in general it's absolutely shit. Yeah. Like, what do they decide is the best match of the day? It, it, it's this fact that it's just... 
it always has they they just put in like this sort of token I don't know I don't know how they decide it obviously if they do it on on the best game of the day I do think tomorrow's highest calibre of the game is probably Stevens via Sabalenka like I said so I can understand why they're putting that in but yeah and I know that for but then uh, uh, not everyone would agree with that because so many tickets became like last night I couldn't buy any tickets for for Sunday yeah whereas today I've ended up buying a ticket for tomorrow's night session for Sunday night session and because I think everyone expected it to be Alcaraz Massetti possibly yeah I mean I don't know like uh, the easiest time to buy tickets for anyone. And the, I mean, the, the thing is as well, when obviously we got this sexist commenter on our Twitter page, is like, surely you must know if you're saying if it's the only day you've bought or it's the only ticket you've bought to the French Open, then you must know when you're buying a tennis ticket. You only know about a, a day in advance. Yeah, well, I think, it's a, I think it's a few days in advance that you, get, you find out. Um like they've already confirmed that Monday's night session is going to be a men's game mm, but you um, only know a day in advance who it's actually going to be yeah yeah but you'll know if it's a women's game or not if oh. I think it's maybe two or three days in advance but uh, yeah I don't know I think we'll see how it goes I mean I, I'm not surprised if tomorrow they do do it and it might not even be a fully packed stadium um but, well, I'm going to be there, so I'll, I'll report. Yeah, yeah. It's the it, game you're going to tomorrow. I just find it endlessly frustrating because I just... One, I don't think the French Open needs a night session. I don't know. Like, I have to... I, I, I get it, the, the point we're making, but then I would... To play devil's advocate, I understand that, you know, they, they're there to generate revenue and having a specific ticket for a night session that's going to get you an extra, almost double your money for Chatrier. But I think you can still make that money if you just split Chatrier in half. If you want to do that, just split Chatrier in half. Have one men's, one women's in the day, one men's match, one women's match in the evening. I just don't get this. Because what you're doing is you're essentially, whether you're doing it explicitly or implicitly you're creating a headline act and what message is that sending if every night your headline act is the men's match and you get all these people come out on twitter when you tweet these things with like your revenue stuff your no, but but the, it's like the revenue stuff. I get that. But it's like, I get what was argument that you can't. But revenue for companies has to be looked at because it has to be down to money. It, it, that's that's the only way. But they you're think. also you're not just like you you're you're a PR company when you do these things, and and what sort of message are you sending out when you're just like, oh, the the the, the, the women's key. matches aren't worth this, and it 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 I just find it so frustrating that you've got a sport where I think it's one of the few sports that is like the quality is basically the same obviously like you look at serve speeds or whatever they're faster in the men's game 
Yeah, but the the level of quality and the level of professionalism is basically the same. Yeah, and and yet there's just this problem in tennis, which is just constantly undervaluing women's tennis, and whether 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 it's the case of Rome where the women's doubles match was just delayed and delayed and delayed and then put onto Pietrangeli where it was then not even broadcast because that that court had been disconnected yeah. or whether you've got I mean Rome the women's singles champion was played was paid less than half of the men's singles champion. Yeah. You had Madrid where equal prize money, but hey, the men get a share of the broadcast money, whereas the women don't. Yeah, look, for me, the Madrid with that, plus also the fact that they hired a bunch of models to do the ball boy um, in Madrid on the centre court, and the Roman things, I think they're bigger examples of where sexism is a problem in tennis. For the French Open sort of thing, uh, look, I I have I believe. But if they're going to do this and they're doing what you say, then they should just say when you when you buy the ticket. But they, they do, should just they do say, say that's the thing. They should just say no. But when you buy the ticket, like months ago, yeah. they they should just say the night session will be a men's match, and they should just be upfront about it rather than doing this whole like oh, we believe in a quality thing, because you don't, you don't, you don't believe. If you're putting your men's match as a headline match each no, but time... I don't, I've not heard them say about the believe in a quality thing. From from what I believe the French Open is trying to do... Oh, no, they don't say anything about it. Yeah, exactly. From what I understand, the, 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 the angle they're going with it is the night session will be the headline game of the day. Mm. Will be the closest game of the day, or obviously... I understand with the French players, like, you know, let's be honest, Monfils was a great player, but he's well off the beat. But he's going to get the atmosphere because he's Monfils and he's in Paris. That's a different story. But with, with the Sabalenka-Stevens thing, they, they, I think they generally have an argument if they turn around and say, look, we're making that the night session because we believe that that's the game with the highest uh, calibre. They've both won a Grand Slam. They're both in good form at the moment. And that's why we want to put that there. Whereas Alcaraz and Djokovic might sweep their opponents aside. And that's why we don't want that on the last game of the day. Whereas this could be a battle. Slow and Steven Sablenka could easily be a three-hour three-setter, couldn't it? And yeah. might be the best day game on Shakhtar tomorrow. And that's why they're doing it. And only to pay devil's advocate, I do believe the same as you. I do believe that, that women's tennis, in comparison to other sports, um, have a have a, have a much smaller difference in terms of the quality of, of the play. Um, and the ability they bring on court because some of the things that they lack of in terms of physical strength and power sometimes they make up in in the way they play their game some of their control can sometimes be better than some men's players <coughs> John Isner um, but to the first <laughs> point I'm trying to make um, you know like Jabour I can... will always appreciate the John Isner slander don't yeah you? I mean John is uh, sorry not John Isner <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not John Isner is shit <laughs> <laughs> no, the point I'm making like when we went and saw Jabour on Chatrier she was drop shot into death which could never be done no matter how many aces John Isner can hit and I don't get me wrong I appreciate an, uh, an ace you know he is to an element a good skill to have but you're seven foot and you can't do anything else with it. Um, so I understand that women's tennis does provide that sort of entertainment factor. 
But the other thing I'll say is, when you have a day ticket on Shaxray and you have a day ticket on Longland, it is just fact that the women's games have less fans in it. Even though the people have paid for the same thing. This is the problem. And this is the problem that I've always thought and I would love to actually just talk to someone that makes these decisions about these things with I'd just love to sit down and get to it it's like if we're saying that best of five tennis is the pinnacle of tennis that has to be reserved for grand slams yeah why then is it only men that are allowed to do that no I understand that point because I also believe that if women were allowed to do best of five sets it would still be less people in the grounds than in the men's games Mm. I, I believe that I actually prefer best of three format it's not because I'm 115 kilograms and I struggle to play five sets but I, I don't know I just think that don't get me wrong it is quite exciting to see a person come back from two sets to love down in three set in the grand slam but realistically it, you know two sets it, to win two sets for me is enough to prove that you're the better person on the day mm. the longer it goes on for the less quality it becomes and it's just down to who can dig in deeper and who's this endurance isn't it exactly but I prefer but that's part of it and I, and I think I, yeah but there is endurance because, in a three setter yeah because I I think that um, because five setters realistically if you win them you, in a grand slam where you've got another game in two days you might even have a game the next day depending on how deep you yeah. you fuck your chances let's be honest Yeah. if you had to play a six hour game at Roland Garros where it's not just the five shot rallies um, it's you know you're sometimes hitting the ball 25 times per point You could, and then you, you realise your next game you're a men's player and your next game is Alcaraz you know, or your or your next or your woman's playing your next game's Halep at her best, and she's going to keep running up and down after every single ball. You got you you've battered your chances. Let's be honest, because yeah. you just can't recover in time. So I think best of three is fairer, even for men's in a Grand Slam. See, I'm kind of of the view at this point where it's like maybe the early round should be best of three, and then and then once you get to the second week, both both sides of the tour have yeah. have best of five I could because that, that works scheduling wise as well yeah, yeah and because it I mean if you go back and look at the history of why women don't play best of five tennis it's because a bunch of men said that they weren't able to yeah and like th- obviously WTA players at Grand Slam level are elite athletes yeah. that we could never even aspire to be that level of fitness yeah I mean and it, and we've played best of five matches before yeah and actually like when we were still in school we used to sometimes go the full distance yeah and very barely yeah but we have done haven't we yeah and it's not like it murdered us no, he didn't murder us, but I just... Uh, like I I mean, that was an entire day gone. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I don't know. I like when I'm playing tennis. To I understand endurance is an element of the game. It has to be because obviously it's a professional sport. But, you know, I prefer to watch the best quality. 
And if that means it's in a shorter format and I'm going to get the best of the best players, then fair enough. And the, those players that take a little bit longer to get into gear are just going to have to develop. No, I, 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 I... But I agree with your thing. I, I think that I, I think, two sets and then three sets second week might be a good idea. Yeah, because I, I, I think best of five is... There is a, a valuable element to it. Yeah. Because... And, and, and as well, if you, if you look at... And it's kind of the thing, if you look at all the finals that are considered the greatest finals of all time, yeah. they're the ones that have gone the distance. They're the ones that have gone to the full five sets. Yeah. And in a shame, it, it's a shame that the women aren't allowed to play... Five setters. These five setters. Because as well, if you're a first-time finalist... Yeah. Very quickly, you can find that you're a set and a breakdown. Yeah. And the final's done. Whereas... Well, no, it's not done. It's just you need to fight harder. Yeah, whereas if you... If you yeah, whereas if you're a set and a breakdown and it's best of five... It's I mean, possible. It, it's possible. And it, it doesn't... F- in a way, it's it's longer to win it, but it doesn't feel so daunting. Yeah, uh, I get it. I get no, no. I do get it. No, I think maybe your idea of the the two and then split into three sets after the second week, like fourth round onwards. Maybe that's the best way to deal with it. But to the original point with women's in the light late session. Yeah, I don't know. I just think that... Just advertise it as a night session where it will be either men or women and then you actually split it fairly or you just advertise it as a night session that's men's matches or you do what I say, you split the day in half so you've got a a men's and a women's match on, like, you just get... and then you just slightly lower the prices. But they won't do that... And it seems like Amelie Marasmo is not, by the sound of things, it's like she's barely even going to go to a press conference this tournament yeah. because she's just going to get asked the exact same questions that she got last asked last year yeah. and will have the exact same substandard answers that she responded with last year Yeah, because the exact same thing happened last year. And then... And then I tweet about it, which like, oh, it's nice that they let women play tennis at night. Yeah. And then you get the sexists come out with their shitty statistics. Yeah. That don't prove anything. And like, like you could just sit there and refute all of these arguments, but I don't have the time for it. I don't have the... Energy energy because it's like I can't believe the first ever person to reply to anything I've ever posted has to be a fucking sexist yeah well just don't let it get to you because he might listen anyway tomorrow's fixtures let's go on to tomorrow's fixtures tomorrow so um I uh, it's only me at the tennis again tomorrow but I mean even then I'm only doing the night session tomorrow which is obviously Sloane Stevens against Arena Sabalenka. I mean, I'm I'm really hoping for a Sloane Stevens win here yeah. because that would mean the only part of my predictions that 
are probably right at that point, which is Sabalenka's not getting to the quarterfinals. Yeah. So, like, I mean, to be fair, Sloane Stevens is not my. I know she is my last hope because that's the fourth round. Oh my god, Sloane Stevens. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna go for. It. Yeah, um, but earlier in the day on Chatrier, opening Chatrier tomorrow, you've got uh, Pavlyuchenkova against Mertens. Yeah. Following that, you've got Djokovic against Varelas. Yeah. Then okay. it's Alcaraz Massetti, which I'm sure will be filled to the rafters. Yep. Fireworks. Yeah. Um, I think the upset could be Varelas tomorrow rather than uh, Massetti. Fair enough. Uh, On court, Suzanne Longland tomorrow. Yeah. We have Hatchinov against Sonego. That's a good game. Mukova Avanesian. I think that Avanesian's going to do it again. I I think it's going to be Mukova, but well, I mean, last episode you would have like heard my 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 newfound love for Carolina Mukova. Yeah. Uh, then we have Svitolina Kasatkina. It's Kasatkina's time. And it's Ofna Sitsipas. Uh, finishing long run. And the rest of the courts are doubles matches. Yep. Which we've never really covered doubles on this podcast, so I don't think we'll start now. No, not um, yet. No. Unless we attend the game. Uh, until we become like professionals at our job and we get paid to do it we're not doing singles and doubles like Jesus Christ yeah um, um, no, no, I, don't, I don't discredit doubles as a sport it's something that I can't do I, like I can play tennis singles at pretty amateur level and I'm a quite good casual tennis player yeah but then I go onto a doubles court and I'm barely a beginner yeah um, I think you just need me as a doubles partner and then we'll, we'll, we'll sort them all out whoever you played no it'd be dreadful but anyway yeah so uh, that that's tomorrow um, obviously we'll, we'll watch some of the other tennis games we'll watch uh, some of the tennis and then I'll obviously head off back to the site for Stevens Sabalenka any new food you tried today? I had I had burgers both times. The first burger that I had was definitely not cooked properly. Right, okay. Was it the chicken or the normal? It was the beef burger. Okay. But I, I mean, I think I got away with it because it was beef burger. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. And then I had the burger again thinking they can't mess it up twice. Yeah. And also, it was just the nearest thing to me because I was on... Long length. Long length, yeah. Um, they also serve salads, you know. I know, but would you really want a, a salad over a burger? Do it for the healths. I'm on holiday, Dennis. Yeah, so I might have enjoyed myself plenty of salt yes. and vinegar crisps. Yeah. Anyway, so yeah, thank you for listening and see you tomorrow. Um, remember we have a Twitter and Instagram at unseededpod on both of them we have an email address which is unseededpod at gmail.com remember to rate and review us on whatever podcast platform you're listening to us on and also subscribe to us that would be helpful but thank you for listening and goodbye <laughs>